Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Friday, November 4th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The Federal Reserve has raised interest rates by another three-quarter percentage point to continue fighting inflation. They have signaled that they may keep raising them, but in smaller increments. In the meantime, experts say it's time to reassess your financial plans and pay down any high-interest debt immediately. Maybe delay your house or car hunt and put more money into savings accounts. Julia Carpenter, reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for how the latest rate hike impacts you. Next. This week, Netflix launched their ad-based tier in the hopes of attracting more subscribers. The new tier is called Basic with Ads and goes for $6.99 a month. It will be a big test for a company that has resisted placing ads in their content for a long time, but also comes at a time when many other streaming services are also doing the same. Joe Flint, reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for what to know and the fight over advertisers and licensing agreements. Finally, with the rise of quiet quitting and more people returning to work, workers have gotten less productive. Productivity has had the sharpest drop since 1947, and it's hard to pin down exactly why. But experts think one reason is that employers are leveraging more power they gained in the tight labor market. It's harder for employers to fire and hire new workers. Burnout could also be a factor. Taylor Telford, reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for how productivity is down. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Despite the slowdown in growth, the labor market remains extremely tight, with the unemployment rate at a 50-year low, job vacancies still very high, and wage growth elevated. Joining us now is Julia Carpenter, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Julia. Thank you for having me. Well, we saw the Federal Reserve hike the interest rate by 0.75 points again. They're signaling that they'll probably still keep raising them, although maybe in smaller increments. This is all in the effort to fight down inflation. Uh, I mean, it's been going on for crazy right now. And there's a, you know, it affects us in different ways. I mean, right now, trying to buy a home is getting difficult. If you have credit card debt, you should try to get rid of that as much as you can. Saving money is more important than ever. Julia, tell us about the rate hike first, and then we'll get into some tips on what people should be doing as they really start changing and looking hard at their financial plans. Right. So I think so many people have have noticed the headlines. They have 
seen the uptick in things like mortgage rates, things like credit card APRs. But the cumulative effect of these rates is what is shaping people's budgets. And the cumulative effect is also pushing people to make new strategies. You know, I was speaking with one professor. Uh, she's a professor of finance at Maryville University. And she said the old strategies are out the window. For a lot of younger people, they grew up in a time where a 3% mortgage rate was normal. You know, they're used to not getting any money back when they put their cash in a high-yield savings account. And those rules are now changing. So people have to come up with new strategies and new ways to think about their financial lives. And when you're looking at your goals, your future goals, like I mentioned, owning a home, maybe buying a new car even, a lot of times they're saying maybe, you know, don't cancel those things. Don't feel like a failure because you can't get those things going right now. But, you know, might be smart to delay them just a little bit. Absolutely. There's no shame in delaying it. I think a lot of people feel that right now the most important thing to do is pay down high interest debt. Your priority should be paying down debt instead of taking on new debt. Yeah, tell us a little bit uh, uh, more about that, because you mentioned the APRs and everything that's going up right now. Uh, I mean, getting rid of those credit cards, those monthly bills right there is pretty important. Right. Higher interest rates always drive higher annual percentage rates on credit cards, so that makes it even more costly to carry debt. And right now, we know that Americans are carrying higher credit card balances. Credit card balances are basically back to what they were in December 2019, before the pandemic. We saw during the pandemic that people spent less on credit cards, but that trend is reversing. And because APRs are so high right now, that means the more money you carry, the more you're going to pay in interest. So when I was speaking with financial advisors about this, you know, one, one said, treat this as an emergency. You know, think about paying down that debt as an emergency. Everything else can take a back burner until you until you eliminate that debt. According to Equifax, they say the total card balances in the U.S. right now is $916 billion. That is a ton of money right there. And, and you know, we're talking about the Fed saying they're going to keep raising interest rates, although maybe a little bit in, in smaller increments. But, you know, it just puts us at greater risk of a recession, too. So, I mean, those are all things to be considering. Another thing that financial advisors say is rethink that house hunt. I mean, we saw the mortgage rates go up to over 7% on average just uh, in this past month. And, uh, you know, a year ago, that was about 3%. Right. Yeah, we've seen mortgage rates more than double. And, and, you know, when mortgage rates topped 7%, they've come down a little bit since then. But when they first did that, that's the first time we've seen that happen in two decades. So it's, it's a really big moment. But the thing that house hunters should consider is that taking more time could see prices decrease. And it could also give them more time to amass a bigger down payment. So we talked before about how higher interest rates, higher mortgage rates means that you're paying more in a monthly payment. If you put down more of a down payment, you'll pay less. So taking time might actually really behoove people who want to want to buy a home. The other thing uh, with this is that right now we're seeing rents higher. I think they're up 25% over the past two years. So that's another thing to consider. Obviously, I mean, you're uh, maybe putting off buying that home and maybe saving some money on that monthly bill, which is going to be going up unless you're putting 20% down. But, you know, just staying in your own in, in the normal rental process is also going up. Yeah, as I've written about this before, the tricky part of being in this in-between is that rentals are costing more. And we have such low inventory right now in the housing market because people are looking at mortgage rates and thinking, if I sell my house now, then I can't buy another house right away. And I don't want to rent because rents are so high. So it just sort of creates this self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, that's the pickle for a lot of homeowners is that they're going to try to sell their house. And then it's like, well, wait a minute, I don't want to buy into over 7% mortgage rate. And, you know, so they're putting some of that stuff off as well. The one silver lining in all of this is that you should be saving more money and you might be getting higher returns on that, although you're probably going to have to shop around for it at least. 
around for savings accounts, I think, is something a lot of people don't do enough of. People have their savings account. They think, okay, I'm getting, you know, whatever I can get from it, probably just a dollar or two a year. It's not that much. But right now, you might actually be seeing rates as high as 2.5%. I know that doesn't sound like a lot to a lot of people, but it's better than maybe the existing rate you have now or the rate you had several years past. So definitely worth it considering that this is the one silver lining to high rates. You see savings products increase. Is there anything else that people should be doing as they keep seeing interest rates go up all over the place? I mean, we're heading into holiday shopping season. You know, we already talked about credit card debt. We know a lot of people put that stuff on those credit cards. What else should people be doing to help with this? Again, just to reiterate, the number one thing that I kept hearing from financial advisors was pay down that credit card debt. Resist putting money on that credit card if you can. You know, every financial advisor I spoke to said that that is the area that they really wanted to emphasize should be top priority for people. Julia Carpenter, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. The consumerism, the marketing, um, they're loud, they're kind of obnoxious. I just, I, I don't like them. I just can't stand commercials. Joining us now is Joe Flint, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Joe. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, Netflix on Thursday launched their ad tier. They're calling it Basic with Ads. It's coming at $6.99 per month. This is something that Netflix has been planning for about seven months. It's actually happened really quickly since they announced it. But, you know, they're trying to make sure they get more subscribers, keep everything going up and above. So this is kind of the new thing for them right now. They're also going to be cracking down on password sharing. But uh, Joe, tell us a little bit about the new ad-supported tier and how we got there, because it's a whole deal to get to this, uh, coordinating with advertisers, coordinating with licensing from uh, different people that are supplying content to them. It seemed very complicated. It is a very complicated endeavor. And as you noted, to get this whole thing up and running in you know about six or seven months, I'm trying to remember back when they uh, announced initially just that they were exploring or considering an ad tier, which of course was a uh, giant reversal in strategy for Netflix, because for years and years, their CEO, Reed Hastings, kept insisting we'll never have ads. Our viewers don't want ads. But The business climate change, streaming subscriber growth began to peak in some key markets, and I think they felt pressure to find a new way to increase revenue. So here we are with an ad-supported tier at $6.99 a month. And so first thing they had to do, of course, was hire people and form partnerships to sell the ads and work with advertisers, and they did that with Microsoft. And then the other question, which kind of goes to what a lot of consumers are probably wondering, well, will I get the exact same Netflix experience on this much lower price platform or not? And mostly yes, but there is content that is not there on the new service. And maybe it will at some point. And it's tough to go through everything. But me and uh, one of my colleagues did go through and find some stuff that's popular content that's not not on there. If you were a fan of the uh, British uh, mob show Peaky Blinders, that is not on the ad-supported service. House of Cards, yeah. not there. And then a lot of other shows we know and love are there. Cobra Kai and The Crown are there and with ads in them. Some shows are there, but no ads, and some are there right. with ads. The task of being able to deal with these licensees, these other people providing them content, you know, they're saying, hey, we don't want these ads airing with our shows. And so that's to that point, that's why some of that stuff's not being offered there. 
Right. And some of these are situations where the content was sold to Netflix and the deal stipulated this is for a SVOD, to use our industry lingo, a subscription video on demand service, not an AVOD, which is uh, the A standing for advertising video on demand. So that's a reason. But in other cases, it's also a matter of a TV show. Netflix may have the rights to stream a TV show or a movie without ads, but perhaps a Hulu or another service has the ad streaming rights. So that's another area, too, where these deals need to be reworked. And that's uh, the other thing Netflix has been trying to do in the last several months, going back to the studios that they buy content from and seeking new deals that would give them the rights to put everything on the ad-supported platform. And they're looking to pay another 15 to 20% is the range I have heard, like yeah. on top of what they're paying now for those rights. The other part of it, too, is dealing with uh, the advertisers. Obviously, we're hearing things like Hennessy, Louis Vuitton, L'Oreal would be advertisers on the Netflix uh, with ads tier. But the other fight over was how much they were going to be paying for those ads. You know, they were uh, Netflix was trying to get them at a premium, $65 for reaching 1,000 viewers. Um, but, you know, they ended up paying less. A lot of them, you know, it's kind of an unproven thing right now. And that was the other uh, uh, fight that Netflix had to contend with. The other concern advertisers naturally have is, okay, it's not that we don't believe you'll have viewers checking out your content, your Netflix, but who's going to give us this data and how are we going to validate it and verify it? And you know, that's a challenge. Amazon has Thursday Night Football now, and Amazon does its measurements, and Nielsen does its measurements, and there's about a 2 million viewer discrepancy between the two, and the, the higher number comes from Amazon. So advertisers, they need and really want a third party. And while Nielsen measures some Netflix content, you know, it's unclear how much they're going to be able to ramp up and if Netflix will strike a deal with them to measure it on this new tier. So that's going to be another challenge. Yeah, I mean, this whole big test, right, whether this lower cost plan is going to draw new subscribers is really what they're aiming at. I think uh, next month, Disney Plus is going to start its ad based plan. We already seeing that from other places like Hulu and uh, Paramount and Peacock, you know, so this seems to be where the entire industry is going. Yes, and it's going to be very interesting, the different approaches. You mentioned Disney+. Plus. What Disney Plus did is basically the people who are currently subscribers to Disney+, Plus will continue to pay $7.99, and they'll get ads. They have to upgrade to get the ad-free version and pay oh, wow. a little more. <laughs> Netflix, of course, took a different approach. I pay 15 bucks for Netflix a month. I've got the standard package. So now, obviously, I could cut that pretty much a little over half without. But yeah, so it was just an interesting two different approaches there. And we'll see what happens. I mean, I will say just going to the Netflix site and trying to sign up for this thing, you have to do a little work. It's not like they're advertising it on the homepage. So we'll see. I mean, the trouble with Netflix, or I should say the challenge for Netflix is they want this thing to do well and obviously have a lot, enough subscribers to have something marketable to sell to advertisers. At the same time, yeah, they have to worry about taking away from their higher and people dropping it from the higher price right, models, exactly. but signing up for this one, but maybe not enough to make up for the loss. It has to be additive. Otherwise, what's the point? You don't want to cannibalize your own audience. Right. So it's one of these weird things where their fantasy would be only new people to Netflix come in for this thing. Like 90% of the people who sign up for this are new versus current Netflix subscribers. That's a big win for them. Joe Flint, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. 
parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiments and Billy made raisins dance. That is so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me! <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to get you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on StoryButton, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. There's a lot of people who are still having extra caregiving duties, you know, with like elderly families, that kind of stuff like that coming out of the pandemic. And then, of course, even though by a lot of standards, we've kind of emerged from the worst of things, we still have tons of people missing from the workforce from long COVID. Joining us now is Taylor Telford, reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Taylor. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about what's going on out there as we're seeing a lot of U.S. workers getting less productive. Uh, it's a little hard to pin down exactly why, but we're hearing a lot of different stories about quiet quitting, just doing the bare minimum to get by. We saw a big point with the great resignation, people moving from job to job. We're seeing that cool down right now. But still, we don't know exactly what the whole thing is. Is uh, remote work have an impact? What the hell is going on? So, Taylor, help us walk through some of this. What are we seeing out there? Sure. Yeah, it's definitely a really strange time because early in the pandemic, there was actually a really significant kind of boom in productivity. And a lot of that could be explained by the fact that nobody had anywhere else to go for a while. And so with that kind of abrupt force shift to remote work early in the pandemic, it does make a bit of sense that people would be busier, they'd be turning out more work. But what's been really strange is that in the first half of 2022, productivity, which is effectively the measure of how much output of goods and services an employee can make in an hour dropped by the sharpest rate on record going back to 1947, which is obviously super significant. And like you kind of hinted at before, it's really tough to know exactly the reason for that. But there are definitely a lot of theories that have to do with the kind of reassessment of work that has been happening over, you know, the past year or two. We've seen things like quiet quitting really resonate with younger workers in particular. But just generally, you know, on the heels of the great resignation, there's been a lot of signs that people are just really reconsidering the ways that work fits into their life. But there's also a lot of things hanging around from the pandemic that could certainly be kind of weighing on people's ability to get their jobs done. We've got a huge kind of child care crisis going on. It's really hard for people to get the kind of coverage that they need if they have kids. There's a lot of people who are still having extra caregiving duties, you know, with like elderly families, that kind of stuff like that coming out of 
the pandemic. And then, of course, even though by a lot of standards, we've kind of emerged from the worst of things, we still have tons of people missing from the workforce from long COVID. And it'll be probably a while before we have a sense of the extent to which that's affecting things. So how are we seeing companies react to this? Case in point, to you know, these underperforming workers. We heard earlier this week that Ford Motor Company, they're offering underperforming employers either the option to take a severance or you enroll in a performance enhancement program that could run anywhere from four to six weeks. If you do get in that program and then you don't increase your performance, your productivity, then you don't get a severance and you'll get fired anyways. But it's getting to that point where companies are really having to address it now. Yeah, leaders are really under a heightened pressure to boost employee performance right now. And you've seen a lot of big name CEOs like Google's Thunder Pichai and Meta slash Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg kind of publicly calling out low performers in their companies and asking for a big productivity boost. And I think that's particularly critical with a recession looming around the corner. But as we've spoken about, it kind of remains to be seen whether workers really have more to give right now because burnout is at historic highs and engagement is at historic lows. So it really seems like there's going to be attention that's going to take a while to resolve here. Yeah. And, you know, going, uh, you know, we were talking about recession fears coming up on the horizon. You know, now's the time where a lot of companies are going to start tightening the belt. But for a long time, right to the point of what was happening with the great resignation, the tight labor market, all that, it kind of created this thing where employees were getting a little lax themselves, right? Uh, You know, it's harder for a company to fire you and replace you. So, you know, they're letting certain things slide right now just because of what's going on. So that's kind of another little wrinkle into this is that we kind of set ourselves up this way. Definitely. I think the balance of power between employers and employees has really shifted a lot throughout the pandemic. Obviously, at the beginning, we saw a lot of mass layoffs, but then the tightness in the labor market has meant that employees have really gained a lot of leverage. But I think that we're starting to see that kind of slide back the other direction now with employers calling employees back to offices and you know, making these really public declarations about increased productivity. But we are hearing that because of you know the kind of continued tightness in the labor market that employers are not as gung-ho to cut people loose as maybe they would normally be, even if they are underperforming. Taylor Telford, reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your daily dive. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.